0: Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm,
1: maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay, I'll start with a salad.
0: For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition, available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, Christopher Kennehan Jr. was recorded with his secretary asking her not to book him into the Hilton Hotel because he didn't like the bed sheets. You know, talk about Shovel being a failure, they didn't end up in prison, but it still did give the authorities a picture of how this gang were operating, their business interests overseas, and the various roles that individuals such as Daniel Kennan and Gary Hutch played within the organisation.
0: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. In 2010, Spanish police announced that they had dismantled the Irish Mafia by shutting down the Kinnahan Organised Crime Group. Headed by Christopher Kinnahan Sr and managed by his sons Daniel and Christopher Jr, the so-called cartel was estimated then to be worth €100 million euro when it was hit with the killer blow by cops who'd spent two years wiretapping the gang and keeping them under close surveillance. But the scenario sounds all too familiar. And 12 years on, the Kinnahans are not only still in business, but 10 times bigger than they ever were. So what went wrong with Operation Shovel? Today, I'm joined by journalist and author Stephen Breen, whose book, The Cartel, details the surveillance and wiretap probe by the Spanish, which failed to take the head from the snake. This is Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com I'm always surprised Stephen when I see Europol Europe referring in reports to Operation Shovel and you know maybe sometimes citing it, I was on the website one day and I saw it cited as one of their sort of success stories nearly for the merging of um, inter, inter, intelligence and information but um we maybe wouldn't see it like that as, as being a success, but we'll come back to that. Um, and before we do, maybe tell us, first of all, what was Operation Shovel? Well,
1: Operation Shovel, Nicola, was the culmination of a meeting that took place in The Hague, in Holland, involving members of the Gardaí, uh, the Spanish police, the Dutch police, and also Europol. And I think that meeting was arranged initiated by the Spanish police in conjunction with the Gardaí to try and come up with a plan, a strategy, to with the ultimate aim of dismantling the Kinahan Organised Crime Group. And I think the meeting was called and the meeting was arranged because by that stage in 2008, um, the Kinahan gang had grown so strong in southern Spain and the Spanish realised that, you know, they weren't just dealing with, you know, a number of local criminals from Ireland who'd come over there and were dealing in small shipments of drugs. They were dealing with an, an organization that was engaged in arms trafficking, huge amounts of drug shipments, but also had consolidated such a strong power base there, and had built up such strong contacts with, you know, Moroccan criminals, Dutch criminals, and many of Europe's leading criminals at that time. But I think. For the Spanish, it was important because at that stage, Paddy Doyle had been murdered in Spain, and that was bad for tourism in Spain. So it was, so at the same time as the Spanish were looking at these murders taking place on their soil, you know, who was responsible and looking at the guy responsible, i.e. the Kinahan cartel and what they were engaged in. And at that time, they had even placed the Kinnaton cartel and ascertained their threat as being as serious as the Basque separatist group ETA because of the murders that were taking place and because of the arms shipments and the drugs that they were involved in. So they saw the Kinnaghan gang as posing a real threat to the security of the Spanish state. So that's why because of who they were dealing with, that's why it was important to have the Irish authorities involved and the Dutch authorities and Europol. And it was about taking action against a particular group who they see had posed a massive threat and something had to be done about it. So that's why Operation mm. Shovel came into being.
0: It's incredible. And I suppose at the the heart of that, what they saw and identified was this complex corporate structure, which, you know, all these years later, we're still talking about. But anyway, to set the scene of 2008, in this, the Costa del Crime. For decades, criminals had been going down there, settling. Um, it has been described as a melting pot of uh, organised crime. You can do any bit of business you want down there. There was the sun. There was the original kind of reasons given that there was no extradition treaty with the UK, so the Brits quite liked it. But, you know, there was pretty serious criminals down there. And how established by two thousand date were the Kinnaghan organisation and how long had they been there?
1: I think the Spanish investigation, when, when that started in 2008, Operation Shovel, the nature of that investigation involved surveillance and a huge, um, massive investigation targeting those senior players within the Kinahan organisation who they had identified as being uh, involved in the key structures of the Kinahan organisation And the structures they identified were arms trafficking, drug shipments and money laundering. And it was important for the Spanish uh, to build up an intelligence profile, and they were they pumped in huge amounts of resources into the, the organization. They identified the key members, such as Christy Kinahan Sr., Daniel Kinahan, people like Freddie Thompson, Gary Hutch, but also their associates um, in broader uh, criminal networks. And by that stage, I think the Spanish were um, amazed at the level of organization involved in running this huge cartel. And I think. The surveillance operation that they initiated gave them a huge insight into what they were dealing with. It wasn't just, you know, an Irish criminal gang, it was an Irish criminal guy who had extensive networks and contacts with other major criminals from Russia, from um, from Holland, from Morocco. So, and it was about identifying those structures and their contacts and trying to dismantle those. But. If you look back at the surveillance, um, and especially in terms of their money laundering exercise and their money laundering endeavours, they were able to establish how they had built up this huge portfolio of properties in Brazil. I think it also gave us an insight into Christy Kennahan and his uh, business model and what he was trying to adopt were trying to create this huge organisation that could obviously launder the proceeds from drugs. And that included, for example... Uh, Christy Kennahan looking to China, looking to Cyprus, Lichtenstein, you know, trying to import cement, trying to import chicken feet because he saw a, a gap in the market and it was all about profit and even trying to get involved in humanitarian uh, charities as well and about building up this huge business empire and I I think the Spanish were were staggered by the the level of sophistication that was involved, the level of their global contacts, especially in terms of the uh, money laundering um, networks that they had, as I said, in in Brazil, um, looking to do business in China, looking to get involved, for example, in a a motorway uh, enterprise in Libya. So it was just about a global enterprise and and what they were trying to achieve And, and that was about... The Spanish then trying to identify what the, the, the cartel were involved in, but also trying to, to stop the flow of money that was coming in because of their extensive drugs network at the time.
0: So, by that time, when they get the window into the Kinahan operation, it is as sophisticated as you can get really for an organized crime gang. And how long did they believe it took for them to create that? Because we sort of talk about the turn of the century, 2000. We kind of know where the Kinnahans are up until that point, And then we can kind of place them down in Spain around 2000 and 2001 sort of timeline. But that's really only a very short period of time that that operation grew to that extent.
1: It's a very short period of time, but it shows you the the level of commitment that Christy Kenehan put in to building up this huge criminal empire, and it showed the contacts that he had across the globe that enabled him to build up this empire. Obviously, he was joined in southern Spain with his sons and other members of the criminal gang. So it showed that they had built up this huge, extensive network where which primarily was involved in uh, drug smuggling and also bringing weapons into Spain before going to the UK and Ireland. And even if you look back at 2006 and 2007, when the British uh, well-known drug dealer James Mulvey was implicated in uh, masterminding over £60 million uh, pounds worth of drugs into the UK at that time, Thomas Bomber Kavanaugh was also named in the indictment by the National Crime Agency in the UK, so that goes back to 2006, 2007. Ultimately, there wasn't enough evidence to bring charges against Kavanaugh, and indeed uh, Hatchet Kavanaugh, his cousin Jared Kavanaugh, in in that investigation, but it showed at that time how big the cartel were, the contacts that they had across Europe, and especially in the UK, but when I was just looking at the, the Spanish investigation file the other day, and And it was just uh, going over some of the the, 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 uh, excerpts of the surveillance um, that the Spanish had at the time. And because even within a short period of time, say five or six, seven years because the cartel had become so big, I mean, they were engaged in counter surveillance. They were at one stage plotting to disrupt and dismantle the uh, network of towers that went along the, the Spanish coastline, which intercepted tr- shipments of coming into drugs. They were looking at cybercrime at, at that stage. So there was, it was such a huge enterprise and it seemed to have built up from, you know, from going from the inner city in, in Dublin. Going to Europe, and and this, within a short period of time, it had been it had it had become a uh, a major power player within the global drugs trade. It was extraordinary.
0: And of course, there's all sorts of um, reasons there as well going on in the background why that happens. And I think, um, you know amongst many things, is the demise of Curtis Warren, of course, and, and he was captured and placed in jail. And I think Christy Kinahan Sr. is a bit of an opportunist. He initially moves in on Larry Dunn's territory here in Dublin and, you know, he's he's there ready, waiting in the wings to to sort of take that over. And, uh, you know, later on the, the continent, he probably does the same with, with Curtis Warren. But, you know, there's many other reasons that we will never know behind that as well. Um, You know, where... The investment money had come from had he used his corporate expertise maybe to invest funds that because look the more you can invest the more you can make isn't that the case in this and any business um but I just wanted to ask you, so when Operation Shovel, so there was the meeting in Europol, it was decided that that oh, everybody, including our own guard, Siakon, would work together. No doubt the guards were at that point delighted because they'd never really been able to get a multitask agency against any Irish targets on the Costa. They were always seen as too much small fry. Even John Gilligan, I don't think they got a huge amount of help from, from the Spanish at the time, but... um it, it it gets going and is it is it mainly like how do they actually do it? Are they are you talking about officers in cars watching these guys? or are they There's definitely the the wiretap, which is probably the most interesting part of it.
1: Yeah, I think the wiretap uh, was a very important part of it. And when they were monitoring their phones, they, so they were when they started that in, in uh, February two thousand and eight. And even after the murder of Patrick Doyle, uh, uh, the Spanish had said that the violent character of the organisation is evident, and they've been linked to six murders, including, you go back to Holland as well, so that's why the Dutch were involved when Simon Cowmeadow was murdered in in February uh, 2007, so that showed you how other police agencies were concerned about the the rise of of the Kinahan cartel, and then I think when it comes to Operation Shovel, it started, the meeting takes place the Spanish agreed to set up this huge surveillance operation. It did involve the tapping of phones. It did involve them identifying key players within the organisation, but it also involved surveillance as well. But the Spanish also noted in their reports that the cartel had also engaged in counter-surveillance measures and they also gleaned information from the wiretaps which suggested that um, there may have been some corrupt Spanish police officers on the payroll of the cartel. And indeed, um, as part of their surveillance operation, the Spanish were also able to ascertain that the cartel were also using automatic uh, number plate recognition systems so they could see that if there were any state cars within the vicinity of where they were socialising or or where they were spending their time, they would know that they belonged to the authorities. So it was a game of cat and mouse where you had the, 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 the full resource of the Spanish state, you know, watching their every move, building up this intelligence profile, this picture. But also you had an organisation such as the Kinnaghan Organisation engaging in counter-surveillance, but also at the same time the Spanish were able to ascertain how they were undergoing weapons training, how they were undergoing uh, bodyguard training. So they were well-equipped and well-resourced and, and well-organised, but it, it, but it needed that was 2 years of the spanish you know watching their every move and i think once they had built up the the profile and the picture of what they were involved in that's when they decided to move against them but when you look at that file it's 20,000 pages uh, mm. so much information within that file you know relating to the activities of the cartel but ultimately you 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 talk about shovel being a failure they didn't end up in prison but it still did give the authorities a, a picture of how this guy were operating, their business interests overseas, and the various roles that individuals such as Daniel Kinnan and, and Gary Hutch played
0: within the organisation. And was there conversations actually overheard maybe from Christy Kinahan Sr. himself? Was he on the phone? Was he recorded?
1: Christy Kinnan was recorded. There, there was one time, I recall, where... Um, Christy Kennan had, had come from on a flight from Hong Kong to Madrid, and he was on the phone uh, speaking to his son, Christopher Jr., asking if Gary Hutch could go and collect him at the Spanish airport, at, at Madrid airport. So that was quite a long journey from southern Spain, the Casa del Sol, five or six hour car journey to Madrid. But, you know, Christy Kennan held those below him, if they weren't his sons, with such contempt that he just left. So Hutch drove up there and then came back. Uh, without Kennehan being there, there. There were other times where Kinnahan, Christy Kennan was recorded on the phone primarily just talking about his business interests, but you had other people such as Gary Hutch and Freddie Thompson talking about going to see prostitutes, um, going for a night out, talking about uh, computers and laptops, which the Spanish police believed were code words for uh, guns. You had one stage where Freddie Thompson obviously wasn't the brightest compared to some of his contemporaries talking about... Uh, uh, a pistol being delivered and how it would spit out the bullet where, and then Hutch would immediately say, hang up. But the wiretaps also give an insight into their paranoia as well. When Eamon Dunn was murdered, you had Daniel Kennan on the phone to his mother back in Ireland saying that wasn't us. There was another time when there was a seizure, when he was talking about his father, when his mother said, was that your father? Was he, was he responsible for that? And Daniel Kennan said, ah, oh, sure, ma, you know what he's like. So it gave an insight into their behaviour but also, when you talk about Daniel Kennehan, you know, he also held his contemporaries with contempt as well, where there was one individual where he asked this individual to check up on his mother in Dublin. This individual didn't do that. And Kenan said, you do what I tell you. Don't let it happen again. So there was a menacing and a threatening element to his conversations as well. But I think they did um, give a good insight into their behaviour and the sort of life that they were leading in Spain.
0: And you see when you talk about it, that they talked about bringing down those towers uh, along the coastline. There was also some sort of a suggestion that they spoke about maybe cutting out some middlemen and bringing in shipments. Again, they,
1: they were on the, the wiretaps as well, but it was all codes uh, that they were using for different aspects of their criminal enterprises. Uh, drugs and guns were all used in, in different codes, but it was about consolidating their own power base there um, and how there were there were certain conversations there where Daniel Kenan would give us instructions and telling people quite specifically how he wanted certain things to be done. They go back to the gym. As well, that they were running the old pub too about going to meeting places there. Daniel was also recorded uh, with his um, secretary as well arranging business deals. Uh, Christopher Kennehan Junior was recorded with his, um, his secretary asking her not to book him into the Hilton Hotel because he didn't like the bed sheets. So and then him being able to go and access. Ten grand because his father wanted some expenses because he was flying to Brazil. So it really did expose their their lavish lifestyle that they were leaving or leading. But also, um, they talked about they they were in total control. They had total responsibility for the structure and the organisation of their criminal enterprises. And any other middlemen or anybody else weren't to be counted. It was just their way or the highway.
0: Mm. So it was obviously, and then we had. The other, I mean, there was financial documents being, searches being done and there was, uh, you know, obviously the swapping of intelligence between the UK, Ireland, the Netherlands and anybody else who was involved with it. But they chose, I think, May of 2010 to uh, kick in the doors as such. Um, There is always a moment in an investigation where it's decided, right, they move in now. Um, In this case, Did they believe they had enough from these wiretaps and from the surveillance?
1: Well, at that stage, yes. By that stage, it had been going on for two years. Um, Also, at the same time in Ireland, uh, there was an an operation called Operation Golden Eye, which was targeting uh, members of the Kinhan organisation in the south inner city. They had huge successes there where drugs were recovered, Ingram machine guns were recovered as well. But because of the recession kicked in in Ireland at that stage then, so that operation was stood down. And I think by 2010, the Spanish have been doing this for two years a huge cost to the Spanish exchequer. They had built up this huge profile, this huge picture of the nature and the structure of the criminal organisation. So I think at that time, the Spanish believed that they had enough evidence and their, their three main areas were drugs trafficking, uh, weapons trafficking and money laundering. So they believed, because of the extensive nature of their surveillance operation, because of what they had built up, all the recordings put together in a file, that there was enough evidence uh, to charge these individuals and those at the top of the organisation, because when they were doing their research and when they were doing their surveillance operation, they had identified as Daniel having the controller and manager of the organisation, Christy Kinnahan, uh Jr. being responsible for money laundering and people like Gary Hutch who they claimed had equal status as Daniel Kennehan but was responsible for arms trafficking and drugs as well and people like Freddie Thompson who also had responsibility for arms and drugs so they had built up that picture they had compiled this evidence and that's when they decided to make their move in a very high-profile uh, show of, of strength against the organisation. You remember it, Nicola, you, you were out there and it was a, 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 a huge day when they, they moved in. We remember Christy in lying on his boxer shorts and in handcuffs, them all being led away and senior members of the organisation. And certainly it caused disruption, but was it enough in the end to bring charges? No, it wasn't.
0: Yeah, and for many reasons. I suppose back then we were... You know, there was there was arrests in a number of countries. I think there was 35 arrested altogether, many of whom certainly we weren't aware of. A lot of them were involved in the sort of or were suspected rather of being involved in the money laundering end of it. Some of them, um, people who were arrested were very much, you know, seen as legitimate business people. All those documents relating to Brazil and the plans to build a huge big complex out there were seized. Um, and I think most importantly the Spanish police came forward and not only said that they'd shut down the Kinahan organization, but they referred to them as the Irish Mafia um, and said they had a mafia-like structure. Um but it was a day of sort of it certainly didn't seem to be a day or a time that was gonna go pear-shaped. It looked everything looked good for the for the goodies as such. Um the Kinahan Christy Kinahan Sr. and his two sons amongst others were placed in jail and the investigation files from the police were handed over to a magistrate as is the way it's done in Spain. And the time kind of went by then and um, slowly but surely they got bail. And that was it. You, I mean, you look
1: at 2010 when this happened, obviously there's a, there's a huge... Interest in this case at the time, you know, it makes headlines across Europe. And as you say, you're dealing with the Irish Mafia. And because I think that they, they had to be seen to be doing something because of the nature of their investigation over the, the previous two years. But then after that, obviously, there must have been some form of disruption to the, the organised crime group. But within a couple of months, you know, people are asking questions. Why, are, why is no one appearing before the court? I know in Spain it's a long, drawn-out process and it could have been a number of years down the line. But within two years, you have Daniel Kennehan opening the MGM gym in Marbella. And mm. it appears to be business as usual. Uh, things are, are going well for them. They're out and about. They're, they're, they're living there. Um, but then, obviously, a few years after that, things start to go wrong when, when the fallout with, with Gary Hutch within members of the gang. Well, they
0: start to go wrong because they fall out themselves. They don't start to go wrong, really, at that second point because of a law enforcement reason. They implode, as as many big groups like that do. But while it was continuing on in the background the case and you know we we're being told yes it's still under investigation they got out as you say 2012 Daniel opens the MGM gym I think Christy Kinnahan Senior goes in and out of jail in Belgium on charges relating to uh, the corruption of very senior police officers in Belgium which is very significant but by 2014 just four years on um, we're told that the drug and criminal charges essentially those more significant charges the drugs and weapons uh, charges are being dropped and that the magistrate is now in 2014 focusing solely on money laundering so that was a big blow I think to law enforcement everywhere and I think probably those who are actually seriously working around organised crime realised this was not going in the right direction um, and obviously that you know failure of this investigation empowered the Kinnahans even more.
1: I I think it it did. I I think you're 100% right there. In 2014, obviously, it had been four years since Operation Shovel. But when they were under investigation, it may have disrupted their activities. But by 2014 they're still a huge uh, criminal organisation. They are still actively involved in very serious crime, such as murder, such as um, drugs, and, and such as weapon smuggling. And you look at 2014 as well, it's the same year in which uh, Hatchet Kavna is shot dead in Spain. So here we have the Kinahan Cartel, six years after the murder of Paddy Doyle in Spain, still killing people in Spanish soil. So ultimately, the overall objective of that investigation in, on Spanish soil was to bring serious charges against those at the upper echelons of the Kenyan organisation. That didn't happen and it was a failure as you say because it resulted in the Kenyan gang becoming even stronger, extending their networks of contacts overseas and, and building this huge criminal organisation and we saw the, what that organisation meant two years after the the attempted shooting of Daniel O'Kinnon in 2014 when they caused so much misery on the streets of Ireland with, with the feud and I think it's it's important to point out that when you look back at, at Operation Shovel, obviously it did provide a picture of the cartel's money laundering networks, the huge um, organisation that they had built up within a very short space of time but the same sort of space of time it, it had got even stronger after shovel up until 2016
0: but when you think about that even though even then in 2014 okay they've dropped the the crime the the drug and weapons um importation charges but our investigation rather but they are still named and shamed all these people they have still been wheeled out in front of the international me- media they have been called the irish mafia and they are still carrying on business completely regardless. It's quite an extraordinary situation, really. Um, It just shows the arrogance, the confidence and the fact that they are untouchable.
1: I think what you just said there, Nicola, about the the arrogance, yes, definitely a term I would use because I think when they were in Spain for so long um, and by 2014, so they're there for a, a very long time, they had built up such a strong power base they did feel they were untouchable because obviously the full weight of the Spanish state had come to bear down on them. That wasn't a success. So if they could survive that and they could consolidate their position within the realms of organised crime across Europe, if they could build on that, which they did do, and you look at the the resources at their disposal, the property empires overseas, the money going through accounts in Panama, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Cyprus, you know, it was just extraordinary. And I think there there was an arrogance there that they are in southern Spain, they are quite strong, even though they have been exposed as the Irish Mafia, even though they're aware that you know there are certain um, investigations ongoing, they're still willing to go out and kill people like Hatchet Kavanagh and Gary Hutchin in 2015. So there was an arrogance there, there was a, certainly an ego there that they had become such a huge organisation that they weren't going to let that empire crumble by uh, the, the work of the authorities, regardless of who they're from, if it was from Spain or from Ireland or indeed across Europe.
0: And of course, that would also um, impinge on anybody who was ever considering to deflect from the organisation that, you know, they would always have been told by the top echelons that nobody can touch us and we are, you know, all powerful. And of course, that's no longer you're just being told that is the reality. That is actual. That is the absolute reality of this organization that you may be working with. You may be reluctantly involved in, be it from a business point of view or you're doing, you know, other jobs for them that you maybe didn't kind of go out, set out in life to do. But you are not only being told this, but this is this is real life. These people are untouchable Um and. You know, in many ways, I think Operation Shovel, there's there's many reasons for it. I, I do recall speaking to somebody in regards to how it was, how those May raids were announced. Um, I've always been of the opinion that the Kinnahans knew they were under surveillance. How do you feel about that? I think I, I would be... Of the belief that they had a number of Spanish police on the payroll
1: yeah I think Christy Kennon was just too clever to, to not be aware that he would have been under uh, any type of surveillance obviously they mm. did talk on the phone because of their business interest but it was always in code they would never talk about anything specific you know it was always I'll meet you at such and such a spot or I'll meet you somewhere else you know it wasn't very clear so it would be hard to gather some evidence from the wiretaps that were um, that they were uh, listening into so so, but also Christy Kinnan as well. As I say it did give an insight into his uh, behaviour. But he was someone who was very cautious. They, there was one there was one occasion where he had gone to, to Madrid Airport and he had walked into one hotel and then he would walked into another hotel and um, he was concerned that he may have been followed. So he waited at one hotel for ten hours and missed his flight just because of the concern that he may have been being followed. And he would always issue these instructions as Daniel did. And there was one occasion that, uh, where an individual didn't take part in the anti-surveillance training that they were participating in. And Daniel went furious that, you know, they weren't taking this thing seriously. It, it, it had to be done. So I, I've no doubt in my mind that they, they, they had um, and were aware that they were under surveillance. But in terms of the, the, the Spanish police working for them, Gary Hutch was indeed recorded in one telephone call saying to someone else that, um, don't worry if I'm stopped in the car, that um, they have someone on the payroll there. So he, he said that they know one local yeah. cop on the cost of the El Sol and he can look after us. So I've no doubt, because the, the money that they, those Spanish police were getting, it, it wasn't ver- very much and it had families to feed on and, and they were open to uh, corruption and they were open to um, being exploited by and manipulated by the and gang because of the resources that, that they had at their disposal.
0: Yeah, I think unfortunately no no legitimate pay will ever match what these drug dealers, when we look now at, I mean, I think back in 2010 when Shovel was announced They were described as being worth 100 million from memory, and that was the estimated value of the the organization. And, uh, you know, 10 years on, as the sanctions in in Dublin are announced, they're worth one billion. But
1: even at at that time, uh, the property empire in Brazil... Was was rumored to be around five hundred million, and and mm. Christy Kenyon was also talking about dealing in cement, so he could bring in cement for say uh, fifty five per ton, and then sell it on for ninety seven per ton. So he, they they were making huge money. So they were that, again. It was all about exploiting um, issues in the markets there trade uh, deals that they could hopefully get involved in, and just looking for opportunities, like any legitimate businessman would do. And, you know, the the Wiretaps also outlined how Christy Kinnon would be a regular reader of the Financial Times. And uh, so after reading an article in in the Financial Times, he wanted to move into the sugar business because he thought that was something where they could make a lot of money. And it was all about money and profit.
0: And out of the Wiretaps, from having read them, did you... um you know, can you get any little sense of the personalities, I suppose, not not maybe the, the, the where where people sit in the organization, but was there anything personal that came out about Christy Sr. Is he speaking to the partner or is he speaking with any affection maybe to his sons outside of business?
1: No, for me, looking back on those wiretaps, um Christy Kenhan Sr. was the 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 godfather. It was business for him. There was nothing else. There were orders he would be issuing to other people. I, I think he held people in contempt other than those of his two sons. I think Daniel's arrogance came across um, in the wiretaps. I think the power had perhaps gone to his head because he was de facto you know, running the operation uh, if his father was overseas or, or away on business. Um, there was definitely an ego there with Daniel Kinnehan. Christopher Kinnan Jr. was very quiet. Uh, didn't have the same uh, personality as his older brother, and I, I think Daniel was was keen to um promote his authority, and you know, but also in a threatening manner as well by issuing these instructions and telling people they had to do it. As I said, it, it was his way or the, no way at all. Uh, in the exchanges between Freddie Thompson and Gary Hutch, you see two close friends who, who had a close bond. Their main uh, priorities were talking about where they were going to have a drink, where they were going to have a joint, and even uh, uh, unusual conversations about back home, like Boyzone and Jedward. So it it, it would go from talking about computers, i.e., or laptops, weapons being brought in to Jedward and to home, and talking about football and different things like that. So very rarely, you know, they would talk about a business. Well, Daniel Kinnan did talk about the murder of Eamon Dunn and denied being involved in that. So that was the the rare occasion. Well, Freddie
0: and Gary Hutch sound more normal, really, in one way. And um, it's always struck me that maybe uh, Christy Kinahan Sr., that maybe his addiction is the business, is the, you know, getting one over and growing it. And he has continued to show um, that that was the case. But I think it's been a fascinating time in the emergence of the the Kinahan Organised Crime Group now, the Kinehan Trans Global Organised Crime Group. If they go on any longer, the the name will be so long, we'll just have to literally use an abbreviation. But um, all of those wiretaps and the, the growth of that organisation from around the turn of the century to 2010, when Shovel uh, attempted, at least to bring them down, is in your book, The Cartel, um, one to dust down and have another look at now that they're all back in the news and they're all so much of interest to everybody again. Is it, um, are you going to update that or no plans at the moment, Nicola? Um, yeah. as I say,
1: because it does go back, it does chart the whole story from the origins that the organization that Christy Kinnon had built up up into yeah. 2017, and then there was an update in 2018. You know, a lot that has happened since then. Your own book has come out about the boxing world and the role that it's played within mm-hmm. the organization, and here we are in 2022 now talking about the American authorities. Now I have the Kennehan's in their sights. Uh, I did when I was writing this book and with my colleague Owen Conlon in 2017. I didn't think for a second that we'd, here, we'd be here in 2022 talking about a five million dollar reward for information leading to their arrest. So it is intriguing, yeah. but it does give a picture of the growth at what they built up to ultimately become this global uh, organised crime
0: group in a way there's such an enormous story around it there will never be I don't believe one as big as the Kinnahans the emergence of them their rise and and, you know their current uh, fall but you know each each part of that story has to come to an end at some stage or else you'd be writing for the rest of your days and you'd have a tome not unlike the Godfather so uh, Stephen Breen thanks very much thank you Nicola